this morning, I want to talk about, we're still in our series on the kingdom of God that we've been in for a while, got a couple of weeks left, but this morning we're going to talk specifically about kingdom authority. I think this is a really important topic to cover in this series. Um, It means a lot and has a lot of relevance for what we do on a Sunday morning, what we do when we walk out the door, who we are and how we go about um, living our lives as believers. And what we're going to be talking about isn't exactly the authority of the kingdom himself, the king himself, that's, though that's a critical piece of this, but more the authority that we have as believers, as Jesus followers, and as citizens of this kingdom where the king is on the throne. And so I want to start with a conversation that Jesus has with a group of 72 of his followers, 72 disciples that he sends out. Now, when we get to this point of the story, he's already sent out those original 12. And he empowered them, gave them power and authority, it says in Luke chapter 9, to drive out demons and to cure all kinds of diseases. And so now he's getting ready to send out six times more than what he did the first time. Now, we don't know who these people are. There's nothing that tells us their identity, that nothing that, you know, indicates they were anyone particularly special or gifted or talented or whatever. Um, they were probably folks that had been hanging out with Jesus and following him. You know, he had those crowds that followed him around and heard him teach and saw him do miracles. So they probably were part of that group. But there's nothing to indicate that these were people, you know, specifically chosen because their power and ability or whatever, or righteousness or whatever. We don't know their names. We don't know anything about them. But, he's, but they've been with Jesus, and that's the important part. They're just common folks that have spent time with him. So in Luke 10, it says this. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles there, we're going to read a good chunk. And I'm sorry, I know, I, Josh puts these beautiful slides up for you, and you can be lazy, and you don't have to open your Bibles. <laughs> I was lazy last night, so you can't be lazy this morning. That's what it is. Um, so if you want to go to Luke chapter 10, it says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And I'm going to drop down to verse 16. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Remember, he's talking to these 72. The 72 returned with joy and said, so obviously they went out, they did this stuff, they came back, and they returned to Jesus and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. 
However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let's just pray for a second. Um, Lord, would you begin to move now? I, I know you've already been moving. That's, that's not to discount what's happened during worship and communion and, and prayer this morning. But Lord, specifically, Holy Spirit, for what it is you want us to glean from these words, Lord, from my preparation time, Lord, what your Holy Spirit will hopefully infuse that I've missed. Would you begin to soften hearts? Would you begin to stir spirits? Would you begin to fan into flame your gifts? And Lord, would we miss nothing that you have for us this morning? Would we glean every bit that will make us more like you, that will make us more like the people that we are created to be, the body that we're created to be, the followers of Jesus that we're created to be. Amen. So I love that when these pairs come back and report to Jesus, they are just as surprised and shocked as everyone else that this stuff actually worked. You know, they went out armed really with nothing but Jesus' own directive for them, but they came back with this experience and this encounter and this evidence of their place in the kingdom. And Jesus' response is just as good. He says, I can almost like hear the tone in his voice. You know, I don't mean to infer something that's not there, but Jesus is like, well, well yeah. I saw Satan fall. I know his place. I know he doesn't have the power and authority, and I'm giving it to you. And I'm giving it to you to do all these things that I said that you will do. I have authority over him, and now so do you. And that's what he means when he tells them that they have authority to s trample on snakes and scorpions. Now, it wasn't that, you know, the path to Jerusalem with, with needed a serious exterminating issue, right? It's that there's these snakes and scorpions, these things that represent the powers of, of evil and darkness and oppression. And Jesus says, I'm giving you the authority to crush them because I have authority. And Satan's not on the throne. The Lord is. So the story of God and his people, I'm real big on, on the meta-narrative of scripture, right? We, we do the word disservice when we pluck individual stories out and leave them as standalone things. This is one big story. And there's little stories within it, but it's one big story. So I'm, a, I'm big on looking at that whole picture. And the story of God and his people is largely one of divine authority. You know, so much of our lives, though, we've sort of boiled down to this day-to-day, in-and-out, Monday-to-Friday, repeat-the-cycle. Somebody asked me this morning, you know, how's your week been? I said, well, it's basically school, soccer, church, repeat. <laughs> you know, and it's easy to get in those ruts, right? Like, we're in a season where that's just, that's what we do. <laughs> like, we try to, like, go to the grocery store and maybe, like, vacuum the carpet in between there sometimes. But you get in these cycles, you know, where, where your focus gets really narrowed in to the things that are right in front of you. Our lives become reduced down to these very localized, often Americanized little balls of time. Things that revolve around just our schedules, you know, our to-do list or whatever's right in front of us. We get myopic about the story that we're actually living in. This is what's so great 
about the Storyform Life that Jim leads, the, the small group that he does. Because what it does is it challenges this myopic view of our lives and our story with the greater story that God has spelled out for us. And it goes like this. This is the greater story. So humans are created special in creation in the image of God. We are made in the image of the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? We're commissioned with the Godhead's authority as image bearers. As I was doing my study, this has n nothing to do with this, but I, I found it so interesting. There, I ended up watching a video kind of about the, the new identity, talking about one of the reasons it upset God so much when people made idols of him, false images, graven images, not only because it's reducing God to an image, but he said, I already I have image bearers. I already have images of myself spread throughout this world. Not only were we doing him disservice, we're doing ourselves disservice. Anyway, that's just a free bit. So we're made in God's images, image and we're given authority as his image bearers. It's part of our identity. It's part of who we are. It is who we are. And in Genesis, we learn that as his people, these image bearers, we were to tend God's garden. Now, this wasn't just picking out weeds. I don't think weeds were a thing before the fall. You know, who wants to do that? You know, to, to tend his garden. We were to be rulers over creation, to subdue it, to name it, to rule over it, not in an oppressive or selfish way, but in a way that allowed creation to flourish and to be cared for and that allowed for God's image in us to be multiplied throughout the entire earth. We were to rule not with ultimate authority because that's reserved for God alone, but with an unmistakable and unusual authority to rule and subdue because we were image bearers. So that's the beginning of the story. Now, the middle of the story is we had a snag, didn't we? <laughs> Actually, it's not even the middle. It's like the beginning and then like the later of the beginning. Happened pretty quickly. We had a snag. We doubt God. We believe this serpent, this, this evil being, and we become slaves to sin. And as a part of the collateral damage for doing that, we basically hand over our authority, our God-given image-bearing authority to the devil. Now, I don't want to make too much of this point, but in Luke chapter 4 is when Jesus goes out into the wilderness for his 40 days of tempting. And who should show up but Satan himself, right? Just to nag him as much as he can. And so Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness in his time of tempting, and he takes him up on the highest mountain he can find, and he, he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. And this is what he says to Jesus. He says, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Now, I find it really interesting here that Jesus doesn't rebuke him as a liar. He doesn't say, that's not true, that's a liar. He comes back with the word of God, but to say, no, God alone is to be worshipped. But it's not a lie that he's calling out here. Satan makes the point, I've been given this authority. And he had. We handed it to him. But here's the thing. 
the authority that Satan has is a usurped authority. It's the authority that was taken by deception from the image bearers of God. So what happens? But Jesus, right? God has a rescue plan. This is the best part of the story, right? This is the part I like to focus on in kids' church. God has a rescue plan. And that's the word we use for it, right? Because he is. He's our rescuer. So Jesus comes as the perfect man, the new Adam, the true human, the man that's going to be more human than any of us have ever been because he's going to do it right and get it right. He's going to be everything that we were made and created to be. And John, 1 John 3, 8 says, the Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's work. He came to say, uh-uh, that, that, nope, this story changes now. That this, this narrative is going to shift. And Colossians 2, 15 tells us that by the cross, Jesus, as, as Bev you know, talked about this morning, I, I love what you said, Bev. I feel like it went really well with this, and we didn't really coordinate on this. Um, thank you for doing that and inviting us to, to the table together. Um, but to Colossians 2.15 tells us that by the cross, Jesus gives the sacrifice of his life and totally disarms these spiritual forces, taking back that usurped authority and puts them to absolute shame. And now they have nothing left but desperate attempts to make us doubt and fear and question our identity. So now... Through faith in Jesus, our authority is restored. Our identity is restored. And our mission out of that is also restored. We have God's own permission to access his power to do the things that Jesus did to destroy the works of the enemy. We get to participate in that. We get to destroy the havoc that the devil has tried to wreak on all of creation. We get to participate in that. Like, does that excite you? I hope so. Check your pulse if not. Like, that's a really amazing thing. You all are so quiet. I love Melissa. She's not here this morning, but she jokes. She's like, God, y'all white people are just so quiet and calm. <laughs> I know, we're trying. Yeah, we're so boring, I'll tell you what. But we get to do the things that Jesus did because he was the perfect human and he demonstrated us what's for us what's possible. We get to heal the sick. We get to raise the dead. What? We get to cast out demons. We get to speak in new tongues. We get to proclaim the truth of God and see hard hearts come to life. We get to baptize those who repent. We get to set captives free. We get to break addictions. We get to bind demonic forces of whatever, whatever spiritual force. We get to bind those and cast them out and say, no more, you have no authority here. We get to uninvite them from our lives and our communities and our churches and our culture. And who knows, honestly, what else we get to do? Because there's a lot of things in our world now that weren't in the Bible, right? Like the truth of God, like the Bible is the truth of God, but it's not all of it because it keeps going. What I mean by that is, for example, um, I have seen broken down cars have hands laid on them and people pray for them and they crank. Y'all seen stuff like that happen? I've seen lost things revealed because a believer said, show up, I need to find this thing. So there's no telling what else we can do through the power of God. That's exciting to me. All right, 
I went off my notes and got excited. Now I don't know where I am. <laughs> so that's our story. That's our true story. That's our divine narrative. And the only limit to our authority is our own lack of belief. It's our own lack of faith. That's the only boundary that's there. There are things over which Jesus has authorized us, has commissioned us, has shared his authority with us, and we get to participate in those things. We get to bind things, loose things. Boy, aren't those weird things, right? Demons, illness, and who knows what else, because in general, we tend to keep to a pretty small sphere of what we think we have control over. Okay? The day in and day out. We lose sight of this greater narrative, the story that is in Scripture of who we are. And there's a spiritual reality there that reveals to us that we are the agents of the kingdom of God. Just pretend like you're James Bond, right? On these missions. All right. So let's be honest, though. This is a little weird. Because, sorry. (laughs) This is a little weird to me. Like, when I really stop and think about this for a minute, um, you know, this may not feel right to many of us. Because the reality is, I can't get my own two kids to listen and obey half the time. <laughs> like, how much authority do I really have, right? I, right? I know. So one on earth really makes me think that I have authority over spiritual issues if I can't get the two kids I gave birth to to listen and obey to what I say. Like, seriously. We're talking here about the woman that I often have to, like, rewash the same load of clothes, you know, three or four times because I leave them in the washer and they start to stink and smell funky and I forget. Like, I'm not even perceptive enough to remember to put them in the dryer. Like, how on earth am I going to exert influence over demons and spiritual powers and things like that when I can't even get my own junk together in the house, right? More often than not, our problem is not having a whole lot of pride about this usually. More often than not, we are probably all very acutely aware that we and ourselves are powerless, right? Plenty of things remind us of that all day long. So many of us have probably heard the policeman analogy about this, yeah? The policeman analogy about authority? No, really? Okay, well, some of you are nodding, some of you are sleeping, I don't know. (laughs) So here's how it goes, right? Is that a policeman or woman has this badge, and this badge is a symbol or a representation of the authority that they've been given by some governing body to do the things that they do. You know, direct traffic, pull a car over, arrest somebody. And this badge is a symbol of that and the proof that they have this authority. Now, obviously everyone knows that that policeman cannot physically stop a car, right? Like, I, I, Sometimes I watch the poor policemen that are assigned to do carpool traffic in front of my kid's school, and I just, like, have to pray for them, God help. You know, because the moms in the minivans ain't paying any attention, and the dogs are crossing, and the kids are coming this way. And if they had to physically stop a car, it's not going to work. They're going to get squashed, right? But they have authority to tell the driver of that car to stop, and they do most of the time. (laughs) But the idea is that this authority is, they are commissioned in this authority by some governing authority or a higher up, right? And so that they are in authority and thus the ones who are in authority under them should obey. And the connection is that our God-given authority is supposedly like that, right? That we have God's stamp of approval in the form of the Holy Spirit. He says, okay, here's your, you know, my Holy Spirit that's like our badge 
that says, okay, I've, I've authorized you to do these things, therefore, you know, you can access my power and have authority in these ways. The problem, as I was preparing this sermon, that I see with this analogy of this policeman thing is I think it really makes us look at God's power and authority and relationship with us as some sort of municipal or transactional thing. And I don't think that's what it is. I think it's really important that more than understanding our authority as a function of like an authorization of power by some higher up that we're not in relationship or connection with, we need to internalize our God-given authority as a function of our identity, of who we are. It's who we are. Our authority comes from the very beginning of the story as image bearers of the creator, as part of our identity as sons and daughters of the reigning king who is on the throne. And even though it was hijacked in the garden and we were deposed from our position as rulers and subduers and leaders, Jesus has restored it. And he's done it through relationship. He's done it through faith and salvation in him. Ephesians 2.6 says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm. That humbles me. Does it you? That we're raised and seated with him? That we are co-heirs with the king himself? It's a place of honor and authority. Like, let that just kind of sink in for a minute. It's not unlike the dynamic that we have with our girls, you know? Karis and Ava can unlock the front door of our house, not because they've earned some badge and proven themselves, but because they're our kids, because they're our daughters. You know, they can come to us with their needs because we're their parents. You know, what is ours is theirs, and they have access to our things. Our stuff is theirs, mostly, because not of what they've done or earned, because of who they are, because they're ours, because they're our family, because they have our name. You know, we don't gain kingdom authority with a badge like the local Holly Springs police do. Badges, you know, honestly, I think if we think about it, have a tendency to make us prideful. Ooh, there's all kinds of finger pointing going on. I don't know what that is. Okay, we'll pray for y'all after. <laughs> Badges have a tendency to make us prideful. You know, if we have a badge, it's because of something we've done, something we've earned. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what happened before church today, but holy cow. You can shout amen if you want. Yeah. <laughs> something that we've accomplished. But the authority we have is because we have a name, not a badge. <laughs> okay, this, this reminds me of a story. I was in my, one of my major classes. Time out. I was in a classic, this is what I had to do. I was in a major class with one of my like upper level professors in college and the girls in front of me got the giggles and it was the end. Like we could not recover. She had, it was a foods class 
and we had to, it was a food science class and we had to make all these different foods and stuff. And she had this little like tapping wand that she used to point at everything, you know, and she'd, she'd tap it on the ground and she'd tap it at this and tap it. Well, we always had to taste these foods at the end. So she took her little tapping wand and started like tapping it over the food that we made. And the three of us started giggling because we were imagining like all these little dirty germs falling in our food and we started laughing about it and we absolutely could not recover. Anyway, so I understand, I get it. And we had to get up and leave because she was a mean professor. <laughs> we didn't want we we didn't want to um, set her off. Anyway, so authority, badges, names. We have the authority we have not because we've been given a badge by a municipal authority. We've been given a name by our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords, who is our Father. Names keep us grounded and humble, and I cannot overstate you guys the importance of humility in using and exercising our authority. We've probably all been hurt by someone who used authority in pride and not humility. So we have to be humble in our exercise of this. Um, I actually have a post-it note on my wall in my office that says, um, don't tell me, show me. And what I mean by that is, don't come bragging to us about your ability and your gifts and your whatever. Show me using them in a humble way. That's how Josh and I know who's really destined for leadership. Who serves and uses these things in a humble way without like all the words, but just the service. All right. You guys remember who John Wimber is, the guy that not exactly founded the vineyard, but kind of took it and made it what it is. He is this really, sorry? CEO. The CEO, yeah, for a while. He's in, uh, kind of a, a spiritual director for a while, I guess. But he had this great line that says, the issue isn't being good. The issue is being God's. That's what makes all the difference. So Jesus told us at 72, you know, don't rejoice that the spirits are are listening to you and submitting to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you have my name. Rejoice in the relationship and the authority comes as a benefit of that. There are of course things that undermine our authority, right? This, this isn't just carte blanche to, to do whatever and it's, it's not just a given. Sin, that's how we lost it in the first place, right? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on these, but I think I'd be remiss not to at least mention some of them that are traps that are set for us. Because the enemy always wants to prowl around to steal, kill, and take this stuff back, right? To destroy what we have. Sin. To be on guard for that. A lack of understanding. Not, not like understanding like we know everything, but having a grasp of what the word says about who we really are and what we've really been given we don't know that how are we going to walk out in that what are what should our lives look like what what are we made for what are we capable of because if we don't have that then that's going to lead to a lack of belief right it's going to lead to unbelief and fear and all of these other things there's this really great story um, in the gospels about a roman centurion who has a servant who's ill like supposedly a great guy, you know, depending on which, which book you're reading the story out of, you know, he did all these amazing things, but he was really sick, like at the point of death and suffering greatly. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, will, will you heal my servant? And I love, Jesus asked him this really interesting question. He says, shall I go heal him? Well, why do, 
Yeah, but there was something that Jesus was pulling out of this guy. He saw the faith in this guy, and the centurion basically responds saying, well, don't bother coming to my house. You know, I, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but I know that if you speak the word, he'll be healed. For I am a man who has authority over me. I'm under authority, but I have authority under me as well. I have, you know, people that I tell go and do this and they go and do it or come and they come or execute this and they do. And it's this beautiful picture of this man who understands authority because of his place in, in the Roman army and he sees Jesus and he recognizes this guy has authority like that, but it's greater. He can tell these things to go, and they will. And Jesus turns and he said, I've not found anyone in all of Israel with faith like this. And he makes an example. Now, that had to really upset the Jews, right? (laughs) He's holding this Roman soldier up as the example of faith. That says a lot to us. All right. Fear, prayerlessness, comparison, I think can undermine our authority especially this comparison bit. You know, I think we really get intimidated because of the examples of authority that we have a tendency to hold ourselves up to, just like we do in anything else, right? God, why do we compare ourselves so much to other people? Why don't we just be who we're created to be and live that out and not always be jealous and wanting something else on the other side and thinking the grass is always greener? You know, we, we, we look at even biblical examples, you know, Elijah calling down fire, you know, Paul raising the dead, the disciples that walk along the road and heal people and say, you know, you come out and you take up your mat and walk and you be healed. And we're intimidated by those things. And we, we compare like, well, we haven't done that. We can't do that. So why, how do we have any authority? You know, even other believers that we see that are just better at this stuff than us. You know, I'm sure we've all got those people. And if not, you can find them on YouTube. Seems like they're always seeing a leg grow out or something, right? <laughs> they're always seeing something cool happen. I'm like, Ugh! why not me? Stop, stop comparing and just start. Start with obedience. Because it's the same authority, guys. They don't have more authority than you. They've probably just made a lot more mistakes and practiced longer. Honestly, that was John Wimber's story. He said he prayed for like a thousand people before he saw anything happen, you know? He always said, when you get to like 900, we'll talk. Let's go log our 900. Anyway. Yeah. Because guys, the reality is, the only thing we need to do the work of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And if you've got that, you've got what you need. We can do the things Jesus said we would do. All right, so what do we... Those of us who can't, you know, get our own kids to obey and get in the bath when they should and pick up their towel and do all those things and, and who aren't perceptive enough to remember to move the load of laundry before it gets funky and stinky in the washer. You know, what do those of us who live those kind of lives day in and day out do with this revelation that we have a divine kingdom authority that is meant to be used to accomplish all these amazing things? The very last thing that Jesus does during his ministry on earth is what we know was the Great Commission. Let me read that really quick. Matthew 28, 18 it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Jesus declares his own authority and then sends his followers out again. We went from 12 to 72 to, as we'd say in the South, all y'all. <laughs> all y'all go, right? <laughs> all y'all, it's one word, several apostrophes. I'll write it out for you later. <laughs> all y'all, it is a plural. <laughs> so now we know that Jesus is the head of the church, right? He's the head of the body, the body of Christ, right? And the church, the followers of Jesus, us, all y'all, all of us are his body. And a body does what the head directs it to do, right? The head controls the body, the workings of the body. In this case, the church, the people of God are authorized to do the works of Jesus, to carry out his ministry. Like he said it right here. This was his thing. Sometimes, though, we confuse authority and power. Authority is delegated to us by our king. His power is available through his presence with us. That's, what Jesus, that's why Jesus said, I'll be with you. You're not going to lose my power. I'm going to be with you. You have authority. Go, I'm with you. You have access to my power. Jesus assures us of that. You know, Josh has often said that, and he, I know he's, he's looked at you guys and, and said this directly to you, that he believes that the answers for the world's problems are sitting right in these seats here. And I know what he means. That, you know, it's not because we're all particularly special or powerful or whatever. We're not resourceful on our own, but it's because of who our king is and what he's given us. You know, it used to be in the Old Testament that there was one guy once a year who could go into that inner room and be in God's presence. And God help if he had a sinful thought while he was in there. They had to drag him out by his ankle with a rope, right? In the Old Testament, God's kingdom was a physical one. He was building Israel. Oh, you missed it. I called you out in the sermon. I'll tell you later. <laughs> so in the Old Testament, God's kingdom was a physical kingdom. It was the nation of Israel, his people, right? And it was the case that only this high priest could go in once a year and be in the presence of God. But under this new covenant of grace, God's kingdom is a spiritual one. And the veil that separated God's people from his presence has been torn and it's been released into the whole world. And now we are a priesthood not one priest, a priesthood of believers authorized by the king himself not only to approach his throne and come and be in his presence, but to actually bear his name as representatives to the world, to the other kingdoms, to cultures, enforcing his decrees and proclaiming his at-hand kingdom. That's a big difference. Yeah? The authority of God is the permission of God to access the power of God. Okay. Y'all see why I wanted Melissa here? <laughs> Y'all are too quiet. I feel but I'm preaching better now because she's here. <laughs> Thank you. The authority comes from our identity. The power comes from his presence that he's promised will be with us. In other words, we get to show the world who's boss, but not through oppression, not through coercion or any of that other junk but through love and compassion and empathy and freedom 
the purpose of our authority is to rule creation as co-heirs with Jesus himself, proclaiming freedom to all of the captives, to the benefit of others. All right. So here's, here's the what, so what, the practicality part of it, okay? So we need to approach ministry every time we do ministry armed with that revelation, okay? We pray for, here, for each other in here like every Sunday, right? So every Sunday we need to have this in mind. Every time someone out there tells us what a bad day they're having, we need to have this in mind. We need the, to be armed with this revelation so that we minister out of our identity in this way to the benefit of others with our authority, okay? A lot of brokenness happens when we look for our identity to come out of our ministry. How many pastors have you seen fall because they were looking for their identity to come out of their ministry? Our ministry has to come out of our identity, not the other way around, okay? We have to grasp the difference between ministering in the church and ministering as the church. All the difference in the world there, okay? Looking to use your authority in the church, I don't know, it might actually disappoint you from time to time because not everyone is called to, you know, be a worship leader, preach or whatever, but we are all called to minister as the church, as Christ's representatives to the world, okay? All believers can expect to use your authority in that way as the church in the world. Church activity, our busyness in here, is not the same thing as church authority. Being busy isn't being authoritative, okay? We've made a big point of late, you know, we, we take communion every Sunday now, but we've made a big point as of late of talking about the table being central, to all that we do. When the table is central, we're going to have a lot more than just church busyness and church activity. It's why we have encounter services. You know, the services where we drop the sermon and, and all the dumb things that Josh or I might say up here, we just get rid of them for a week and we're like, God, come. It's why we do that that way. It's why we have an open mic over here because we believe that you are authorized with power to hear words from God. Um, you know, it's why we minister the way that we do. Because to gather without the activation of the Holy Spirit and his authority, really it just turns us into a social club. <laughs> like if we show up without the authority of God, why are we here? You probably could find better things to do. Our authority is purpose to bring life. Life and purpose and encouragement and edification and healing and equipping within the church so that we can go out there like we did this weekend with the school supply outreach or these other things that we've done and bring life and purpose and encouragement and freedom and deliverance and healing to our culture and to our world as the church, not just in the church. And if so, if we of the church are just satisfied with finding really good volunteers to make coffee or please like not to like, you know, you guys know we all need coffee, right? I don't think enough of you had it this morning. Um, see? But if we're just satisfied with recruiting good volunteers, we've really missed the point. If we're, if we're satisfied with putting programs in place to run, what's the point? We need the authority and the power, the power in action. What the church needs isn't just people filling roles and filling seats. It needs people who are walking out their God-given authority and identity as image bearers of God. The Vineyard Anaheim, the kind of the original, you know, mothership <laughs> out there in California where John Wimber pastored, they have a phrase that they use that they say, doing this is being kingdom carriers, that you carry the kingdom with you where you go by your authority. 
So let's get a bit more specific about this. Josh and I were actually talking recently about how we, meaning Christians in general, have a tendency when we pray to each other to do intercession in front of someone. And he mentioned this several weeks ago in his sermon. And, and here's what we mean by that, you know. Um, so we don't have ultimate authority, right, as I mentioned earlier. You know, that belongs to Jesus alone. So there are some things that are still, like, above our pay grade, as I like to say. For example, we don't have the authority to command hearts, right? We can't authority someone into conviction, right? We can't authority someone into repentance, into salvation, yeah? That is the role of the Holy Spirit. The role of conviction belongs to him. That, that's above our pay grade. And so those are the places for intercession. Those are the pra- places for prayers like, Lord, would you change their heart, right? Those are the, the times to lift someone up. Lord, would you take control here? Would you change this? But every single week, we gather here as the church to worship and to pray and to minister to one another. And when we invite those of you who are sick in either mind or body, you know, to come up, stand up, whatever, find someone to get prayed for, we're not inviting you to come up and listen to the person next to you talk to God about you. It's kind of weird when we think about it, right? But so often that's what we do. Like you tell them what's wrong and they turn around and interpret for God what's wrong. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? That's not authority. When you come up for prayer and when you come up to pray, both ends of that, what we're inviting you to do is to activate in this authority and to act on the reality that Jesus is king and he's here and he's with us like he promised he would be and that he shared his kingdom authority with us and we believe it like that centurion did. We we recognize his authority and we walk in it by faith. That's what we're asking you and giving you space to do. And so instead of our prayers sounding something like this, well, Jesus... So-and-so's leg's really hurting, you know, and it's really, it's keeping them from working, and so, Lord, would you just come and just touch them just a little bit, you know? That's not what we're going for. It's a little odd when we think about it. You know, our prayers have to become authoritative statements like, be healed, because we have the authority to proclaim healing. That's the whole point of this thing. When Jesus sent out those 72 and they came back like, what? That's what they're doing. They weren't running back to Jesus reporting everything that was wrong. He didn't go say, take a tally of all the brokenness and I'll come heal it. He said, you go do it. You go heal. So our prayers have to take on that authority and that power of be healed. You know, authority sounds like take up your mat and walk. Authority sounds like spirit of addiction be bound and gone in the name of Jesus and proclaim freedom over someone. Authority is proclaiming and demonstrating the presence of the kingdom because we are aware of and confident in that at-hand reign of the king here with us right now, but not just here, when we go out there too. So here's what I hope for us to be different as a result of this, because I feel like I've repeated myself a bit and we've been silly for a minute. But the thing that I want to be different as a result of this morning and what we talk about is this. So often we do ministry, we're praying, when we do that, we're praying and asking God to do things or accomplish things on our behalf that he has already empowered and equipped us to do. Let's like take away the redundancy. Like do y'all, do y'all hear what I'm saying there? So often our ministry is us begging God to do something that he's already looked at us and said, no, you go do it. 
You do it. I've given you the power and authority to do it. So my hope for us is that we will stop shying away from our place as image bearers and co-heirs with Christ and that we will take up that authority. We will take hold of who we are and what we have and we will minister with authority and power and boldness because that's what changes all the junk, right? That we will believe who Jesus says we are and what we can do and even if we're scared and nervous about it, that we'll try it anyway. The 72 were clearly shocked when they came back and it worked. But they had to go try to see the power and to see the effectiveness, okay? We are authorized to command healing. We are authorized to rebuke dark, satanic, demonic forces and bind them and deliver people from them. We are authorized to proclaim the gospel with power in truth and faith and have it penetrate hard hearts. We are authorized for those things. We are authorized to be agents of salt and light in here and out there for the benefit of others to change our world. So let's be bold in doing it. All right, now, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll end here. We're almost done. I'm sorry, I talked way longer than I thought I was going to. It was Tabby and Pam's fault, y'all. They distracted me. All the giggling and mess. We're sorry. <laughs> I love you guys and you know it. All right, seemingly subtle, but incredibly important point. All right, we gotta be mindful of this. We aren't commanding God or the Holy Spirit to do anything, okay? Every time we go to a conference, and I say this because I've seen it, every time we go to some conference somewhere, you know, and they're teaching about power and authority and these sort of healing and these sort of things, inevitably this will happen. The person that's speaking will do a talk like I've just done, and then there's often a lab class with it, right, where they call somebody up who needs healing, they pray for them, they demonstrate how it's done, and then poor, some poor unsuspecting soul who's never done this before gets called up on stage to do what that guy just did, and they're terrified, right? And so as a result, what happens is something like this. At some point, they'll start to pray for this person, and at some point, something like this will come out of their mouth where they say, Holy Spirit, I command you to heal. Don't do that. Remember, God is our head. He is where our directives come from. We're the ones who are taking his directives what we're doing, we're not, we're not commanding the Holy Spirit to act. He's present here with his power for us to act. And what we're doing is that we are commanding the created order to align to the plans and purposes of God by the authority of Jesus. God is willing to act. That, you know, that's why we pray that whole, like, in Jesus' name thing, you know? It's not like just some salutation to prayer so people know we're done or, you know, it's, it's not some like magic phrase that makes our prayer take or work. You know, it's an acknowledgement of where our authority and power comes from. You know, I think the reason that people make mistakes like that, honestly, at this steps is because we want a formula and we watch what the other person did and we try to make a pattern and a formula out of it and mimic it instead of being us in the way that we minister and praying the words and the prayers that God gives us. All right, but thank goodness, right, that God has grace for us in that, that he knows and he lets us learn and we grow just like the 72 did where they went out and they came back and said, what, this is amazing. And so we do it by practicing and trying and taking him at his word and going out and doing these things. And I'm done. So what I think we should do, um, as I was praying last night, 
you know, this is kind of an odd sermon for me because usually when you teach something like this, it's either a three-minute little video that says, by the way, you have authority and here's why, or it's an entire weekend conference. Doing like a, you know, 45-minute sermon or so is kind of an odd amount of time. But what I, I hope you heard was the truth of who we are in there and as a result of that, what, what we are authorized to do. Um, so for ministry time, I, I feel like I heard a couple of things. Um, I, I think we're, we haven't done this actually in quite a while, um, but I think we're supposed to take just a second, um, like 20 seconds maybe, and listen for words of knowledge. Because those build our faith, right? When we want to start doing this stuff, when we know that God's already said, hey, I want to heal that leg, we're like, oh, okay. We've got somewhere to start. We've got some confidence in that. Um, so let's do that. Let's start with that. I think there's f- at least four. And I think one of those is going to come, and I don't mean to scare any of you, but from someone who's never done this before. I think God wants to open up some new doors. If you've never given a word of knowledge before, now what I mean by this is that just we're just going to kind of clear our minds for a minute and say, Lord, what do you have to say? What do you want to do this morning? Who do you want to touch? What do you want to do? It can be anything he says. He can say, I want to heal a left kidney. <laughs> Whatever, you know. He can say, I want to free someone from such and such. And it's just something the Lord says to you so that you can speak it out give, to give others faith to go for that, either to pray for it or to come up and be healed. Now, here's the other thing that's going to happen. You're going to give a word and somebody's not going to stand up. Usually it's because they went, well, I heard it and that is me, but I didn't think it was for me. Don't do that. Encourage the person who gave the word by acknowledging if it's you. Okay, and if they get it a little bit off, it's okay. Like, don't you want to get prayer anyway? All right, so t- like 20 seconds. Holy Spirit, come. Fill our minds with your thoughts. Show us what you want to do this morning. <laughs> 